Hey, take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and look at James. We're James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Somebody said, who's preaching tonight? I said, well, you know, every now and then I still will crawl in the pulpit, all right? Didn't say I was going to totally give it up, but we will have uh, guys... Uh, who will uh, who will be here preaching in some different uh, different times over the next few weeks? But uh, I still want to be able to come, especially after uh, we sing and do all that. I kind of am ready to preach. You know what I'm saying? So James chapter one. These are some verses that really hit home with me. These are verses that um, the Lord has used to kind of uh, speak to me in some different circumstances. And I hope and pray they'll be challenging you. Because when you look at this book, I mean, the book of James is so practical. And it should be. Some people have called it the New Testament wisdom literature. That it's very similar to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, as you, you saw, just daily instruction. Now, James also gives it to us almost like in a sermon form. Some have called it like a homily, a sermon. Because if you look at it, he deals with all kinds of things. He's like some of us preachers, right? We don't always stay on track. It's okay not to say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Gave you an opportunity. But he doesn't always seem to stay on track. I mean, there's so many different issues he will like cover. But all of these things obviously are related to his idea of real faith in the real world. How we are living out our faith in a real world. And he is going to speak to us clearly in the next few verses, about how we live it out, how works themselves demonstrate true faith. And you're going to hear that theme over the next few weeks. You're going to hear how our practice should meet our theology, how we should reflect in our actions what we believe. I found this from A.W. Tozer, who said that basically the situation today, well, the situation today simply seems to deceive what James would tell us. It it goes against the grain. This is what Tozer said. He said, So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who had heard it would conclude that he has been examining two distinct and contrary religions. It appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. So the divorce between theory and practice becomes permanent in fact, though in in word the union is declared to be eternal. Truth sits forsaken and grieves till her professed followers come home for a brief visit. But she sees them depart again when the bills come due. You know, when we look today, there seems to be a dichotomy, a a difference between what we say and what we do. What James is going to teach us, and we're really moving into that section now. James is going to say to us that as true believers, there should be no gap between our actions and our words. There should be absolutely no space between what we believe and how we act. That the two go hand in hand. And that true faith is demonstrated in true work. So he begins in verse 19, I think as we work through this passage, telling us how we are to hear the word. And then, of course, in the next few verses, how we are to act upon that word. Look in verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, 
I love the preacher talk, don't you? My beloved brethren. He identifies with them. He says, I want you to know that you're family. He's, look, as you read on through these verses in a moment, he's going to light them up, right? He's going to speak to them. He's going to bring conviction to them. But he wants them to know that he's doing it in the context of family and friendship. He's doing it in the context of the relationship he has with Christ and the, the context of the relationship they have with Christ. So he says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I mean, these verses, so practical in application, so needed in our world today. I mean, he just simply says to us, first of all, we need to be quick to hear. Already the conviction is setting in over this congregation, right? We need to be quick to hear. Now, I think this applies to what he's going to speak about in verse 21 of the unplanted word, that the word of God is going to come. And that's really how we should be quick to hear what God has to say to us. But this is a this is a general application that we need to hear in our lives, that we need to be people who are quick to stop and listen we need to be people who will really hear. Now, you know there's a difference between hearing and listening. You know that? Um, Dr. Mack, you got your hearing aids in right now, right? Do you mind? I mean, you shared it to me in private. I guess I can give it to them publicly. You don't mind? You don't mind. I'm proud of you. I'm pr- I thought if I called you out publicly, you wouldn't really disagree with me. <laughs> Dr. Mack, I love this man, but he came to me right before the service and he said, Hey, my hearing aids uh, were not working this morning uh, while you were preaching, but I'm, I'm sure it was something good. I'm sure it was awesome. <laughs> Look, that is an encourager. That is an affirming individual right there. And he is an affirming individual, but... You know, there's a difference in hearing like words and really listening. You don't believe me? Ask Leslie. (laughs) She will give me a pep talk every now and then. And I need it every now and then. Every now and then, not every day. But every now and then, I need it. Because a lot of times we will hear what's being said. We'll hear the spoken word. But we will not listen. There's a difference. We have to be willing to listen and to receive what is being said. John N. Dr. Bozeman down at New Orleans was one of my favorite professors ever. I loved her her to death. And she basically defined communication as that when you receive in your glass what I pour from my pitcher. That's what she used to tell me. It's like when if you're really listening, you're going to receive in your glass what I am pouring from my pitcher. You're going to really hear. You're going to listen You're going to allow it to dwell within. Again, many of us can hear things, but we don't necessarily listen. When people call me on the phone and they tell me that I qualify for a new credit card. (laughs) I hear what they say. I do not necessarily listen to what they have to say. There's a difference. For us, 
what James is going to really flesh out for us is that all of us need to be quick to really hear or to listen, to allow it to come into our lives and to make a difference. Well, it's hard to separate these into very clear uh, divisions of the message. So let me go ahead and say to you that we need to be swift to hear. We need to be slow to speak because those go so closely together. Now, you've heard this or you've noted this. Anatomically, you know that we have two ears and one mouth. Maybe God was trying to tell us something. That we need to listen at least twice as much as we speak. But certainly, we need to be slow to speak. Proverbs twenty nine twenty. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him, the proverb writer says. We must be slow to speak. Oftentimes we want to talk. We want to, we want to uh, communicate. Even when people are talking to us. What are we doing oftentimes? Go ahead, confess it. The Lord can hear right here. You're thinking about what you're going to say. You're thinking about the story you're going to tell. You're not really listening to them. You're, you're just getting ready to speak. And what James says is that we've got to learn. We've got to learn that we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. We need to be quiet. We need to listen. What some have said, what I, I have heard many times is that we need to listen with a third ear. We need to do that when people are speaking to us, like listen to see what they're really saying. Again, I think Dr. Bozeman, back when I had a interpersonal relationship skills class under her, she would talk about how to like 92% of what people say or communication is nonverbal. In other words, you got to get past just what the word is. You got to watch people and you got to hear. You got to hear the inflection of their voice. You've got to see the expression of their face. I try to remind myself if my wife comes home and I say, how was your day? And she says, all right. I have tried to learn. I've not gotten there yet, but I've tried to learn that I don't say, that's great. That's awesome. Sounds like you had a wonderful day. Let's talk about my day now. (laughs) What she's told me is that maybe it wasn't so good. So we need to listen and listen with a third ear. We need to be still and be quiet. Let me apply this. Now, it helps us to think through what we're going to say. We need to make sure that we, have, we are following what God wants us to say, and certainly we need, we need to think about it. Hey, I had a deacon's wife tell me one time, she just said, hey, I just don't think before I speak. I was kind of like, I'm not surprised. I mean, I knew that, but if you know the reason, if you, if you can admit it, shouldn't that be the first step of getting some help on this kind of deal? I mean, we need to think before we speak, but sometimes we just need to be quiet. We just need to allow God to speak to us and other people to speak to us. We need to be slow to speak, swift to hear. Again, I think the ultimate message through all this, though, is as it relates to the Word of God. 
I mean, I can use the personal relationships to kind of give me examples of how I should relate. But really, he's going to talk in verse 21 about the implanted word. So I think it's in context of God and his word to us. So in other words, we need, we need to be quick to hear what God has to say. And instead of always speaking back to him, instead of always like just talking about ourselves or our situation, sometimes we just need to stop. I think there is great meaning in just stopping before God and being quiet and letting Him speak to us. We need to have moments where we are so quiet, maybe meditating upon the Word, listening to His Word, reading through His Word, just allowing His Word to work through us so that we can hear truly. We can listen to what He has to say. Sometimes we will not stop enough. Sometimes we will not close our mouths enough. Sometimes we will not control our tongue enough to hear what God wants to say to us. And James says, if you're going to hear the word, if you're going to really let it take root in your life, you've got to just stop talking sometimes. And you've got to start listening. Man, what great practical counsel for us. He says, be swift to hear, slow to speak. And get this, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Man, this is a tough one, isn't it? He says, you can't just fly off the handle. Now, many people struggle with anger. I mean, anger can burn through us. It can, it can well up in us, and before we know it, it can, take, it can take over. I mean, you hear things all the time. Road rage, right? Maybe in a grocery store, some aisle age, rage that is, aisle rage. I've heard people talk about the preachers, and they called it robe rage. You know, the preachers who had to get a little bit angry. But it can just, it can consume us if we're not careful. But look at the practical application of this. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's amazing how when you study God's Word, He puts you in situations where you have to kind of study and learn that and practice that, isn't it? I remember a few years ago I was living down in Picayune, and I had come across this passage. I would read it before, but you know what I'm talking about. When you really like, you've read it, and all of a sudden it grabbed hold of you. And Scripture still does that. Like, I've read through the Scripture, and I still see it, but sometimes there's some that just grab hold of it. That, grab, that would grab hold of me, and I, I just I decided I would kind of, you know, just kind of keep it, commit it to my memory at the time, just keep it through the week. Oh, man, I wished I'd have picked another verse. I went to the tire store, not the Walpole tire store here. Don't go out. See, some of you are already texting the Walpoles right now. He's talking about you. He's talking about. I was in Picayune. Hear me? I went to the tire store. I told them I had a leak, I thought, in my, in my tire. They looked at it. They said, looks good to us. And they sent, they sent me on my way. In just a little while, the tire had gone back down again. I went back to the tire store. 
I said, hey, uh, I was in here early. Yeah, we remember you. Yeah, I, I had a problem with my tire. You thought you had kind of fixed it. It's, it's going down again. Okay, we'll get to you when we can. Okay, okay. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So I waited for a while, and they got to me. They fixed it, I thought. We drove, I drove away, and, you know, everything seemed to be going all right. And then it just before, I mean, this was all in a day. It, it went down again. So I went back to the store <laughs> and said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I was in here twice earlier. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I had that Trump kind of like nasal thing that was going on. <clears throat> and I, I said... Uh, you know, I, I'm still having problems with my tire. It's still leaking. They said, really? We thought we'd fix that. I said, yeah, I thought you had too, you know. but um, And they said, well, we're we just not going to have time to get back to you today. We've kind of taken a lot of time with you already, and you think I'm kidding, okay? Swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to anger. I went home. I did. I kept my composure because I said, you know, what's going to happen one of these days? One of these guys going to come into Pine Grove Baptist Church and they're going to talk about the preacher that lost. They're going to say, oh, that's the preacher that lost his cool that day. But, man, I was so close. I'll re- obviously, I've not gotten over it yet. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it still can cause great anxiety in my heart and in my life. I came home, told Leslie about it. I said, Leslie, I wished I'd had a different scripture because if I hadn't been reading that, I probably could have told him what I wanted to tell him, you know. But God was just restraining. He said, I had to be slow to wrath, slow to anger. You know, it's hard when you feel like people are moving against you in particular because, you know, I believe that this church... The ones that he is writing, the church that has been dispersed, that this church is going through all kinds of persecution. There are all kinds of people coming against them. They were getting it first because they were coming from a Jewish background, and second, they were coming because from in persecution because they were Christians. Even in their Jewish synagogues and other areas, they were taking all this person. It would be so easy to get angry. And to push back, Lou and Ida, when they, def- when they define the word anger that's used here, they say that in a number of languages, it is impossible to speak of anger without indicating against whom the anger exists. In other words, if you're angry, it's like you've got an enemy. And it's hard for you to express anger without talking about the person and vilifying the individual. It's very tough for us not to respond. Hey, I was studying for this, looking over this. I found some great insults I'd love to use one day. I was just looking up, I'm just looking up like insult books, you know, well, insult, they weren't insult, illustration books, (laughs) illustration books. And (laughs) some of you say, aha, now I understand. Now I know how he studies each week, you know. But I was looking over some illustration books, and man, I found some good ones. Donnie, I was, oh, oh, Winston Churchill, he had some good ones, did he not? I mean, uh, I, I read some about his relationship with Lady Astor. You, you probably know more about it than I do. Well, you do know more about it than I do, but... Uh, 
he had no love affair with Lady Astor. It is said that on one occasion she found the great statesman rather obviously inebriated, that is, drunk in a hotel elevator with cutting disgust. She snipped to him. She said, Sir Winston, you are drunk. To which he replied, My lady, and you are ugly. But tomorrow I will be sober, he said. <laughs> you going to use this tomorrow in your classroom, probably? <laughs> Later, Churchill engaged in Lady Ast- with Lady Astor in a conversation and a verbal sparring. And she told him, if I were your wife, I'd put arsenic in your tea. And he responded, if I were your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> Man, we'd love to just hurl the insults upon people, right? But we're to be slow to anger. Hey... Would it be slow to anger, especially when it relates to the word? I told you that I think all this is in context of the word of God. He's He's going to give us that in verse 21 about the implanted word. He says you need to be swift to hear. Slow to speak. And hey, slow to anger. What does that mean? It means when the Word of God is spoken into your life, instead of getting mad about it, when the conviction settles in, don't get mad, don't get angry, but rather allow God to change you and get right. I think that's what he's speaking about here. He said, don't, don't fly off the handle with God just because you're mad about what the Word has been spoken and how it has impacted your life. And look, There are times, there are times when the Word of God is spoken in my life that I am uncomfortable. Can I tell you that there are times before I get into the pulpit and preach that I have to deal with things that are not necessarily pleasant. I have to deal with it before I know I can give it out to anybody else. And there are times I want to look at God and say, God, everybody else, is doing, why would you pick on me by giving me this word? But we're to be slow to anger. We're to allow the conviction to work within our hearts and lives. Because get this, verse 20, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Us getting mad about it, Us getting angry over it, that's not going to produce the righteousness of God in our lives. You know, anger really doesn't produce righteousness, does it? It never really does. I mean, think about it. A time when somebody got angry, how productive was it for that situation, your life, for another's life? As a matter of fact, Will Rogers said, people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. does not produce the righteousness of God. You say things in the heat of the moment you'd never meant. You say things that were not constructive. You say things that sometimes damage a relationship forever. Anger does not produce the righteousness of God. 
some years ago, uh, I think it was back in 99 or so, I went and kind of tried to look up the article again. Uh, I just remember this sad situation at Midwestern Theological Seminary. Midwestern had been through some difficulties through the years. They had had different leadership. They were a very small institution. And they had finally gotten a president. Hope, they were hoping that would lead them to growth, would lead them to um, new heights as a seminary. And then before we knew it, after some time, the president was dismissed from the seminary because of the anger issues that he had. Now think of this, president of a seminary. I went and um, just kind of copied and pasted. I was reading the Baptist Press article again today. You can go, how sad is this? You can go Google it still. This is what the article said. In a news conference following the trustee meeting, the chairman of the board, Weiser, said an investigation began in June regarding complaints about Coppinger's, that's the president of the seminary, his anger. He praised Coppinger for four years of outstanding creativity and progress at the seminary, where he said Coppinger had assembled a world-class faculty. Weiser said the dismissal also created an enormous hurt for the seminary. But, quote, after hours of agonizing discussion and interviews with Dr. Coppinger and vice presidents, a majority of the board concluded that the expressions of anger admitted by to by Dr. Coppinger had damaged his ability to lead the seminary. A spokesman for Coppinger said he would make no comment following his firing and reaffirmed his expression of repentance of, quote, misappropriation of anger given trustee executive committee members in a meeting July 30th. No, I always was heartbroken over that. I was always heartbroken and always reminded that it doesn't matter what position you're in. You can be a seminary president. He was, he was a pastor before. He was a professor. A seminary president. You would think the highest ideals, ethics. And he did many, many good things. Did you hear that article? That he did so much. But he lost his position and in many ways lost his testimony at the time because of anger. I say to you, it is sad, too, that you can still Google that. Because you know what? Today, we recognize that we fall. Everybody in this place will mess up. Everybody will. But today, when we mess up, oftentimes you can Google about it. You want to talk about a testimony that had been damaged locally, but a testimony that now had been damaged throughout at least the Southern Baptist circles and beyond. Because the anger, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm going to tell you that when we're angry, we're not making good decisions. And we're certainly not demonstrating holiness in our lives. Not the wrath of, that we have. Not our anger. So no wonder James would say again, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath. 
for the wrath of God, a wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Hey, do you know what a difference? Now think about it. What a difference our lives could demonstrate tomorrow if we just took those three little practice, practical steps in our lives. We just say, hey, we're going to commit. Hey, maybe that's what we all do. We all do this every sermon, right? Every message. That we'll take those verses and we'll say, God, I want to live that out this week. So what if we do that? What if we just agree as a people in this place that we'll take these verses, James 1, 19 and 20, and that this week when we find ourselves in different situations, those verses will inform us. Because, God, we want to hear your word. And we don't want to just hear, we, we don't want to just hear the words themselves spoken. We want to internalize it. We want to listen. And God, we want to stop speaking about all of our lives and all the things. We just want to hear from you this, this week. And God, help us that when you convict us about this, that you help us not respond in anger, but we would respond according to your word and we would see righteousness, your righteousness, demonstrated. Wow. What a word for us and what a difference it can make if we would live it out tomorrow. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these moments. Lord, how thankful we are for your word. Lord, we admit tonight that we would just wander aimlessly if you had not revealed yourself to us. Father, you have given us your perfect revelation. You revealed us to us who you were through your son, Jesus. You have demonstrated, Lord, through the scripture, what you require of us. And Lord, I pray that this week we would listen. We'd still away from the busyness of life. We'd find quiet moments. Not to speak to you, but allow you to speak to us. And God, I do pray that in this place, beginning with this pastor and beyond, that you would allow your word to do a transforming work that you'd knock off these rough edges, that you would challenge our motivations and our actions, and that, Lord, we would bring them in line to you so that what is demonstrated is not our righteousness, but your righteousness. Now, Lord, speak to us, even during this moment of commitment, this invitation, in Jesus' name.